it's not just given to chance it's not just hopefully sargun down the street or ninos over there or shami down there will do something it's no us together we will sit this is what we want to see five years 10 years 20 years so if we want to progress we have to work for that progress Hi everyone, Adessa here with episode 108 of the Assyrian Podcast. For today's episode, I finally convinced Dr. Asher Sarisho, who also happens to be my husband, to do an interview. Now, I haven't been chasing him down to do an interview just because he's my husband, but that he brings a wealth of experience and lessons that have come with advancing the Assyrian community here in Hamilton, Ontario. In this episode, you'll learn about how his family ended up in Malta for several years before settling in Canada, how his involvement and leadership started in the Assyrian community and how it has evolved, life as a chiropractor and business owner, and his hopes for his personal life and the community at large. I am his biggest fan and it's because his talk matches his walk and is always looking outside of the box of how we can take the Assyrian community to the next level, while never neglecting his personal growth. A couple of quick announcements before we go to the interview. Our new and improved website is live and you can visit it by going to www.assyrianpodcast.com. A special thanks to one of our hosts, Jesse, who has made it look phenomenal. Thank you, Jesse. Also, we have a paid opportunity that we'd like to share with you. We are looking for a social media coordinator who can help bring our social media presence to the next level. This isn't a nine to five type of situation, so there's a ton of flexibility. If you're creative, tech savvy, and always up on the current social media trends, we want you. Message us at info at assyrianpodcast.com. Lastly, support for this week's episode of the Assyrian Podcast is brought to you by Tony Calicarakis and the injury lawyers of Illinois and New York. If you know anyone that has been in a serious accident, please reach out to Tony Calicarakis. He is your man. Tony has been recognized as a top 40 lawyer and a rising star by Super Lawyers Publication and has obtained multiple multi-million dollar awards. Tony can be reached at injuryrights.com or Now, without further ado, here is Ashuk. All right, Ash, so we've put our daughter to bed. The house is nice and quiet. We can now start the interview. I feel like this is the Red Table Talk with Jada Pinkett Smith and Will Smith. And they're interviewing each other. They finally have each other on the show after many shows. Am I Will or Jada? <laughs> Who would you like to be? The funnier one. Okay, Will Smith. We'll go with that. All right, Ash, I've wanted to interview you on the podcast for a while now. And so I'm glad that we've had the opportunity to do so. So you were born in Iraq. Mm-hmm. Where in Iraq? So Tilkepe, Iraq. And where is that geographically? Uh, Just outside of Mosul, so in the northern part of the country. And at three years old, your family decided to leave Iraq. And what was the reason? Well, it was the wars that were happening there. So I think at the time was the Gulf War. The Iran-Iraq War just had finished. And with another war looming, it didn't seem like there was hope for family there. And so your family had left, and you were a family of seven, right? You have four other siblings, plus your parents. So a group of seven people leaving, not sure what is in store for the future, and you land in Malta. Yes. How did you get to Malta? Uh, And how did you even hear of Malta? Um, To be 100% honest with you, well, we flew there. And how do we hear about it? I think it was from other Assyrians. There was, uh, amazingly enough, a small community there of transient Assyrians who had predominantly left from Iraq and uh, 
they were in limbo seeing what they would do next so malta for people who don't know beautiful beautiful place it's paradise more or less it's an island in the middle of the mediterranean beautiful country known for tourism beaches everything but they don't give out citizenship unless you're born there or uh, you marry a native so we were visitors for five years there and uh, in the process trying to see where to go and we did get rejected i think a couple of times going to the states even though i have numerous uncles and aunts there but we were rejected and i think a family had come to canada before us and then my parents were like let's try canada they gave us the thumbs up and then we came to canada in 1997 july 31st oh nice so this month that's coming up yes this will be our 23 year anniversary very cool could you talk a little bit about what was life like in malta i mean you'd mentioned that there were and by the way this is malta with a lit not with a tau right that's like like the very authentic way to say it is malta yes. if you're from there yes you say malta okay right <laughs> but here i am malta is the way most people especially the uh, English people who visit there is pronounced. Uh, funny enough, Maltese is actually a Semitic language. It's classified Semitic. It is very close to Arabic. So if someone speaks Arabic and understands Arabic, they can probably get by in Malta. So, uh, Which I'm sure that helped you all because your family knew Arabic. Oh, and so my you could at least start from that. So my parents did. I think my older sister and brother, but the rest of us know we didn't know arabic but we're young enough where we picked up the language very quickly not only did we pick up uh, maltese we learned italian there as well and english so at a young age most of us spoke four languages so assyrian english maltese and italian how european of you yeah <laughs> lost <laughs> half of those when i came here unfortunately but kept the other half so Malta, you had mentioned that there were some other Assyrian families there. Big community there, small community? Uh, it's small community, but relatively speaking, it's an island. It's a tiny place when you compare it to the vastness of North America and most of Europe. So it is a small community, but it's everything is within half an hour to an hour of each other. So it's once pretty much an Assyrian family landed there. Everyone knew about it. We did have gatherings at people's houses. Like how many families would you say were there when you guys were there? Dozens. Okay. So there were dozens of families. That were you I able remember. to blend in? Like, did you look like Maltese, like the other people that were there? Or could you, were you sticking out like a sore thumb and people were like, ah. Oh. I want to say we did kind of blend in, let's say, just, Maltese look like southern Italians and we they do have the darker features darker skin tones and darker eyes and hair but not knowing the language and Malta again it's a very small place people who the natives have lived there for centuries mm -hmm. more or less so it is one of those where they can tell an outsider mm -hmm. but going back to the community it's Anytime there was an Assyrian, everyone would know. I still remember most of our friends were Assyrians. And I remember too, eventually we had Assyrian classes. I still remember an individual, he actually moved here to Hamilton before us. And I think that was one of the big reasons my family moved to Hamilton as well. We call him Baba, but, or Abu Ivan, Baba Ivan. And, uh, they teach Assyrian there. So now when you say teach Assyrian, do you mean just within the confines of your houses or did you have like a shotaputa, a, a community center for Assyrians there type of thing? Just house. So okay. I think it'd be mainly their house. Very young, don't remember too much, but I remember that. I remember too when going out to the boardwalk or kind of the area where people would hang out by the water, the Assyrians would be congregating in one area and everyone would know so that's where they would end up so it's although the future was very very uncertain my parents and 
all the other Assyrians there made try to make one thing that was constant and that was being around others like us I know one we have a lot of contact with to this day and there's another one there's a number of them who live in and around the Hamilton area mm -hmm. that my parents do see our families do we see each other there's some in Detroit area that we've seen mainly in weddings you know eventually becomes like that and yeah so that was a kind of a connection was created in Malta and it was an amazing thing cool there needs to be like a reunion the same way that Ked Cook and Havania have their like reunions yeah. and you have a Malta reunion in Malta itself maybe <laughs> oh man that would be amazing and Malta, like itself, is paradise. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you look at pictures, it's just like what you would envision just turquoise waters, just a very beautiful place. Is that how you remember mm -hmm. it as well? Very historic, it has a lot of history to it. I think at one point it was a British colony. Mm hmm like a lot of places <laughs> in the world but it's it has claimed its independence and a rich rich history a catholic country mm -hmm. but although heavily influenced by italian culture middle east arab culture it has its own distinctness to it and anyone who ever wants to visit a rich cultural place with beautiful beaches malta is the place to go and we haven't gone yet, but it's on our list. Yes. Um, all right. So you eventually found out that Canada was going to be your home. And mm -hmm. you all, that was sort of the next step in your family's life. Mm -hmm. And it seems like how you'd mentioned, it was somebody that you knew that was in Hamilton that then guided you to Hamilton, Ontario. Do you recall you were, what, eight years old? Uh, yeah, eight, nine. Do you recall what your feelings were when you were on the flight and coming here? What had you heard about Canada? What were you looking forward to or scared? Did you think about any of that? We had the same stereotypical thoughts that most people did, where this would be a frigid place. You have like a all polar bear as your pet, <laughs> igloo in your yeah. backyard. I still remember we were very excited coming though. It was We were flying British Airways, still remember the little chess toys inside that they actually gave at the time to everyone every passenger i was playing it with my siblings and it was at the time obviously i didn't understand the the fullness of uh what was going on of mm -hmm. how life was just changing forever but looking back it was definitely a monumental change and honestly i still don't understand how my parents did it because even right now after having a child it's Every day it's like, okay, am I doing the right things to make sure providing for us, but also laying a foundation for our one daughter at the moment, let alone we have these two adults who probably can barely get by in English when they came here and five kids. It's like, okay, let's start a brand new life where the education we had back home means nothing anymore. And there's no job there there's there's nothing and but let's go and let's figure it out so it's i can only assume just what was going on in their heads and just again looking back now it's as a child growing up never felt that a need wasn't met so i think that speaks volume to your parents mm. right to show like i'm sure they were going through so many emotions of uncertainty and especially with regards to the future mm -hmm. but i think holding that front to you all showing that hey everything's under control like we've you know and having you all feel safe yeah like maslow's hierarchy of needs those <laughs> new those needs were met for you all when you all came to hamilton at at what point was it that you all started the assyrian school that was done through the Assyrian Church of the East here? School was, was I think, was there for uh, quite some time. It was started, but unfortunately with a lot of things, you know, it starts strong and then kind of as year goes, it wanes and then uh, kind of fizzles out slowly, right? It's unfortunate at times. It's when there isn't a full-out commitment both from the teachers and from the parents then if the importance isn't placed on it then it's not it, it, it doesn't flourish mm -hmm. 
All right, so a prime example is I still remember when I was as a student in it, you know, sometimes the teachers wouldn't show up. There was a wedding the day before, <laughs> but just as likely as the kids wouldn't show up because it's someone's birthday or just the parents didn't want to bring the kids to school, right? And it's demoralizing on both ends. If a teacher doesn't see the kids there or they have to keep repeating the same lesson, I'm sure they're not seeing their time uh, used wisely, right? Or their time respected. And vice versa, if the kids are there and the parents are dropping off the kids, the teacher is changing every week or they're not seeing their kids learning due to the teacher, then they may not bring their kids and it's kind of a cycle. But the school, fortunately, was it was incorporated through the Hamilton-Wentworth District School Board, so that's the, the Ministry of Education here, where the teachers were actually now employees of the school board. As and, in the Assyrian school teachers? Yes. So they would, they're kind of, they would be paid by the school board to teach Assyrian to the kids. So that creates a sense of professionalization, right? As soon as this isn't no longer a volunteer position, it's not someone's doing it of their goodness of their heart. So you have committed yourself to this responsibility that you will be there every single week, make sure that kids are learning, uh, providing a safe environment, but a safe environment that fosters learning for the children. So I think it's important. Almost everything has to start on a volunteer base, but we do have to evolve to to become professionals. And I think once we professionalize our nonprofits, that's when we can excel and actually expect results from our nonprofits, not just be content with the bare minimum. So I myself, I still remember one time we're at church, we're in the basements, you know, at, in Hamilton. After uh, Raza, we go downstairs, we eat, we socialize, we mingle. And after that's done, that's when usually the Assyrian school started. And that was the day that there was no teacher. I still remember. And Rabbi Kasha talked to my mom. He's like, hey, why doesn't Asher teach these kids? <laughs> and I overheard and I looked down like, is this guy, uh, has he gone mad? What is he, at the time I was uh, in 10th grade. I think it was around 10th grade. Did he grade. know that you knew how to read and write? Uh, well, I had undergone the Assyrian school there and he had personally taught me to especially read and especially from Lishan uh, Atiqa. So he knew I had a certain level of proficiency. Mm -hmm. Uh, but again, I was 10th grade and no 10th grader is thinking, oh yeah, let me go and teach other kids. Mm -hmm. Th these children were younger, right? Let's say mm -hmm. maybe 8, 9, 10 years old. There was maybe 10 of them. But my mom and my uh, father there too, they're, they kind of pushed me. They're like, just stay. I was like, what am I going to do? They're like, just start from the basics, teach alphabet and go from there. So that first week, uh, we went through some stuff and then it was next week. He's like, I want you here, same time, and we'll do it again and a little more. And then it just became a normal thing. So I started helping with the Assyrian school. My parents being there, they made sure that every single week I was there. So beforehand, when I was a student, they ensured I was there every single week. I still remember, no matter what, Sundays, it's get up, go to church, and then right afterwards would be a Syrian school. No matter what, there's no questions. No matter what happened the night before, no matter how much homework we had or didn't have or any excuse we had, church and a Syrian school were what happened between 9 a.m. and 3 p.m. every single Sunday. To the point I know... When, especially when we first came, my father worked quite a bit, odd jobs, sometimes gas station, this, that, lots and lots of hours that to make sure that we would stay there, he'd be behind us. And every time he was there, I had to look straight ahead because if I turned around and he was watching me turning around, I would get an earful when I got home and everything. So again, it's no child wants to spend their Sundays or at any point probably learning Assyrian, but I'm very, very happy that my parents sacrificed 
their own time to make sure that I was there. And then that led to me having enough confidence to teach children. And now we actually, have, I think we have about 100, 100 to 120 registered children, about five teachers, again, all funded through the school board. And we teach Assyrian every week from September all the way to June. Yeah, so the reason why I asked this question is because I think what happens here is just very unique in the sense that, you know, Assyrian classes are taught throughout all different Assyrian communities around the world. But very rarely do I hear about Assyrian school teachers actually being compensated for their time. I mean, I think regardless, it's not like they're going into it being like, oh, I can get money for this, let me get it. But it always... You're, like you were saying, it adds that sense of professionalization and it's a nice way to compensate. It, it values someone's time, right? It says, hey, this is what you're expected to do, but as a result of you doing this, you can also get compensated. It's not a lot, but it is something. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that's just really awesome here. And I think it also speaks to the Ministry of Education that they value students here learning more than just English, right? It's learning their mother tongue, whatever that is. So this program isn't just for Assyrian language. It's any community that wants to teach it can do it too. So mm -hmm. Assyrian is one of them, thank God. And there are Arabic is taught as well. I think Urdu, Serbian, Turkish, I think even Kurdish is taught. So anyone can do it. There is an emphasis placed by the Ministry of Education, especially here in uh, Hamilton, to teach children their, uh, their mother tongue. So this is all based on mother tongue. But anyone can join these classes. We have had in the past just non-Assyrian children with absolutely no connection to the Assyrian community. So it's not like they married into it and they came to the class. <laughs> when we asked the parents, like, why did you come here? The mother of the child literally said, I told my child, you have to learn at least one other language. And she picked a Syrian <laughs> for whatever reason. So she came How for cool. a couple of years. We had this, this girl who just was in our class making friends with Assyrians, learning Assyrian. I still remember when we have our end of year when we showcase what we do. She wanted to state the alphabet and some other things she learned. And the people and the parents who were there were just amazed that, that this child was actually wanting to learn our language. Just randomly she chose Assyrian. I'm glad she did. I think everyone learned something there. But it is it's it's thanks to the ministry of education here that our mother tongue is being taught to our children so cool um something that you said that stood out to me was the dedication that your parents had to ensure that you were going to school and church on sundays no matter what <laughs> that something that i notice about them is that they have wanted to see you all flourish not just within the assyrian community and keeping your ties there but at the same time doing well within the larger canadian society and doing well for yourselves and reaching and fulfilling your potential so when you eventually went to university, you went to McMaster University here mm -hmm. in Hamilton, what led you to your career path within chiropractic and about your involvement with the Assyrian Chaldean Syriac Student Union here? Uh, yeah, so growing up, my parents always instilled confidence in all their children. So I definitely felt that and I knew that one of the best ways to succeed in life is through education, right? So my parents always told me, you gotta focus on school. And thankfully I did excel in, in school and it did open a lot of doors for me. So after high school, it was going to, as you said, McMaster University and I took kinesiology there. So it's the study of the movement of the body. How did you know you wanted to do kinesiology? I'll see. I didn't. So during high school, I took almost every course that I needed to take. So all the sciences, all the maths, mm -hmm. all, all the courses. So that 
was giving me the option then to apply to everything. So I applied to engineering, I applied to the sciences, I applied to social sciences, and then it was, I got accepted to all of them. And that's when it's like, okay, time to make a decision because I don't want to make a decision beforehand unless it was kind of a sure thing. I personally was leaning more towards the engineering path. I've always been intrigued, especially nuclear and physics and the physical sciences. But I remember my dad was also pushing me towards more health. And I was also with kinesiology, I was intrigued by it too, because there was a quite a bit of a physics component to it too. So honestly, looking back, I'm not sure why, but I chose kinesiology and I'm very, very happy that I did because then that was four years of kinesiology, which led to four years of chiropractic school. And how did you know you wanted to go into chiropractic? chiropractic. Well, as most people, fourth year of university, it's like, all right, what, what was the whole point of this? Mm -hmm. What am I going to do with my life? So my last year, obviously with kinesiology, it leads to the health and obviously with a, with a bias towards the physical therapies and physical health, right? So my last year, I went, did some shadowing with physiotherapists, chiropractors, family doctors, and I was a lot more intrigued by what chiropractors were doing. And especially what led me more towards it wasn't necessarily what the chiropractor themselves were doing but honestly it was the patients and how thankful they were that they were patients at chiropractic clinics. To be honest, the patients that I saw at family doctors and some physio clinics, they seemed, they don't want to be there. Mm. It was kind of out of obligation. It, was, it seemed just a sad, the waiting room seemed like a sad place and just the chiropractic clinics I went to, there was more enjoyment. Like these people wanted to be here and they were very happy to be there and to help themselves, right? And then going forward too, it's sometimes there are the stereotypes of a family doctors, you're only treating the, the symptoms and that's why you, you, know, you have to quote, take a pill for life or whatnot. And sometimes with chiropractic, it's more of a preventative care, which helps everything. And again, the type of patient that I personally want to help is someone who is more proactive. So that's how I had viewed it, especially in fourth year university. So then I applied to a couple of chiropractic schools in Canada. There's only one English speaking school. And then there was one that was in Buffalo, which is in the States. Thankfully I got accepted to both, but obviously the one in Canada would be the one to go to. So four years university, four years chiropractic school, and then I finished. Yeah, and then while you were at McMaster, you were also involved with the Assyrian student organization that was there. What was that like? To be honest, probably the most life-altering decision that I have made in university was being involved with AXU. So that's the Assyrian Chaldean Syriac Student Union. With AXU, I met many, many like-minded individuals, many Assyrians who shared the same passion that I did for Assyrian culture, Assyrian language, Assyrian everything. And it helped me to, along with other people, to kind of expand what I see as Assyrian. So before Aksu, to be honest, my Assyrianism was church on Sunday and then the Assyrian school afterwards. Which also probably meant that you only knew the Assyrians that went to your church and not so much those that would maybe go to other churches or no church at all for the most part yeah so that's how what my the sphere of my assyria was at the time right axu had changed all that and not just the people but also what was or should be important to assyrians so again beforehand what was important to me as an assyrian was uh, christmas easter all these more christian based traditions for assyrians right mm -hmm. Before, again, University in Aksu, Seifo wasn't something that I knew a lot about or even spoke a lot about. The Same, 1915 genocide. Yeah, so the 1915 genocide of Assyrians 
wasn't something that I knew I was well versed on. Mm -hmm. And similarly, the Semele massacre was, but that's only because my mother was from Semele. Mm -hmm. So we did hear a little bit about that. But again, it, it was small compared to what we as a Syrian should remember from Semele. Mm -hmm. right? Similarly, the important people who birthed the Assyrian nationalism I'd never heard of him before. Freyna Toraya, Ashur Yusuf, uh, Naum Fayyak. These all became part of what I consider important to an Assyrian after I joined Aksu, after I was introduced to certain people, certain events. Mm -hmm. Right? So, honestly, Aksu was, had, has changed my life quite a bit. And it also was an amazing avenue for us as Assyrians to try different things, to one not only preserve but to help uh, expand on our Syrianism so as an example I saw one of the things we did was in our university itself in the cold cold November of Canada we would actually sleep outside for a week to relive life of a refugee predominantly an Assyrian refugee and we'd raise money from the student populace there I think it was done total four four or five years and also if you just these are done just strictly by students if you count up all the money that was raised well in the six figures wow. that was yeah it was that was donated over, over the, the years year. or yeah. during over the okay. years over the years that was donated back to assyrians in iraq and syria which were the most needy at the time and wasn't one of the years that Canadian organization matched that yeah. money? Yeah, so one year the Canadian government was matching dollar for dollar anything that was sent to help, anything that was donated to a charity that was helping on the ground in Syria. So we, anything that we donated, I think that year was, I think around 20, 20 something thousand. So the Canadian government matched that as well. So another 20 something thousand was sent to help Assyrians. It was actually amazing that Aksu itself, especially when you go to the branch level, so it was different universities were working together. But I still remember McMaster has a sizable Arab student population and they would be amazed at what us as Assyrians, honestly, there would maybe be a couple dozen of us mm -hmm. maximum and that even less that would be fully active within Aksu that what we were doing. And to us, it was showing that what even a small amount of people can do with enough drive and enough commitment. Throughout the years, it was, it has helped me learn how to organize events, Going to school at McMaster taught me what I needed to know to be a good, quote, kinesiologist and a good chiropractor. But honestly, with Aksu, it taught me what I need to be a good friend to the people around me, a good team player, and a good way of thinking outside the box to help with such a grandiose idea of Assyria. Listeners, I don't think should take it lightly of what Aksu has done and how long they have been established for. They are arguably one of the longest standing student organizations. I think yes and definitely in North America. I think yes. Yeah. I want to say yes and just not that not just as uh, students and I think just as an organization itself. One other thing it's just as an organization we should always lend a hand to people who are youth or students, right? These are the years when people should always be pushing boundaries. And when it comes to younger people, I, as I was at one point, our thoughts are never as developed, right? So we're always experimenting, trying this, trying that. And I see that now too, people who are younger, but they should have our 100% support. Not in the sense that we will support your every decision, but we will support you in trying to find the truth in that decision. Mm -hmm. So that's why even now I always have a soft spot for Aksu. It has, and just in general, any youth or student group it helped me develop quite a bit. And it's the ways it developed was sometimes making mistakes and just sometimes learning the hard way. So even today, no matter what, as much as I can, I will help. And not necessarily to tell people what to do, but to help them find their truth. Mm -hmm. And you have had, I mean, you have friends that 
have stemmed from that and have still continued those relationships and they have been strong and a lot of people here can thank Aksu for starting such strong and valuable friendships that would have never happened otherwise because they're just growing up here the way that I understand it, there just weren't other opportunities outside of church to be able to get to meet and get to know other Assyrians. So that's very cool. Yeah. Um, now, you're done with schooling, and then what happened? My initial thoughts have always been, stay in academia, I would love to do research, continue it, but honestly, after eight years, it was just like, okay, time you're to... You're done with school. Yes. This is it. Let me at least make some money and pay some taxes and pay down some of these student loans. So fourth year of my chiropractic school was okay. And same thing as with universities, like, okay, now what? So our fourth year is all kind of hands-on. It's working in clinics, working with the actual population. And my whole goal with that was go back to Hamilton, find a place and work there i still remember we graduated in in june and right before graduation there was uh, with any students you get emails oh yeah there's this opportunity there's that opportunity one of the emails was opportunity in hamilton so i clicked the email and it was uh, a woman who was retiring so she wants someone to take over her clinic and i was like okay in my head this is Obviously, why would anyone pick a recent grad? But I applied with the thought of, let me just see how the process is. So I applied, went to the interview. We talked, we talked. Honestly, it seemed like it was going great. A couple of days later, she calls and I was like, I guess this is her way of saying no, but she's like, hey, I honestly, out of all the people, I really liked you and I feel like you'd be the best fit for my patients. I was ecstatic. Honestly, I was like, okay, is this... Here you are, yeah. a recent grad <laughs> being like, offered okay. a clinic. <laughs> yeah, this would be phenomenal. So she's like, when can you start? I was like, okay, so this is June. My whole dream is to go to Europe in August, start in September after Labor Day. So I was like, can I start in September 1st? She's like, I'm hoping to be finished by August 1st, and I want you to shadow from now until then. <laughs> so i was like okay so long you're up <laughs> it's like so do i be a grown-up and take this or do i just be like no this is my last hurrah as i didn't have to think about it too much yeah europe has to wait we'll put that on hold let's do this so between june and about middle of july are the we do all the testing everything the license doesn't fully come in till then so once mid-july hit that came in I was shouting her for a bit and I was like, okay, August, it's like, take it, run. I still remember August 6th, go ahead, start. <laughs> so from August 6th, I've been working at the clinic. It's been phenomenal. I really enjoy one, working with patients, but also running the clinic itself. It has been very rewarding seeing kind of the number side of it i've always thought of myself as a numbers guy so it's been amazing dealing with both sides and it was initially just me so over the years brought on two massage therapists and then a physiotherapist so now there's four of us we work together trying to help as many people in hamilton as possible that must be so rewarding to be able to slowly grow a practice and being able to provide all around a wellness experience to your patients. Yeah, I've been blessed enough, again, just starting off with a patient load, starting off with a clinic. The staff, absolutely phenomenal. Even the therapists, again, it's been amazing all around and I couldn't have asked for better results. And people, let me just tell you, prior to meeting Asha, I had never gone to a chiropractor just because I was I just thought you only go to a chiropractor if you are like god forbid but happens in a car accident or something like that I never thought like oh I need my back adjusted for those of you who have gone to a chiropractor you know it is a game changer 
it's not always like the stuff that you see on YouTube where it's the crazy cracks and everything, but wow, wow, wow. I never knew that I needed it until I got treatment and I was like, okay, this is it, game over. That plus a massage, oh my gosh. You're gonna leave feeling like 150%. But anyway, so make sure you call 905 no. I mean, this isn't a plug for him. It's just in general for chiropractic care. Phenomenal game changer. Highly recommend it. Anyway, so you're you're doing that. You're you're living the sort of Assyrian a dream for <laughs> parents in terms of like, oh, Bruni, Haliki Azel, Umra, Kitroshiva, Kimako, Gulishana, Dian, Ile Doctor. So you're kind of check marking all those things, but you didn't do it for the sake of doing it. It's just, that's just mm. what came of you. And you give it all 110%. Something that I've appreciated about you is obviously AXU remained a student organization. You worked on it a little bit afterwards, but you still felt like there was a need for something else within the Hamilton community to serve the greater Assyrian population here so talk a little bit about the birth of Betnahan Assyrian Heritage Center one I think uh, quote sin the Assyrian community has is the word youth and uh, can, I can youth? be quite elongated to uh, yeah what is what is defined as youth within the Assyrian realm is it 30 is it 35 is it 40 40 who knows <laughs> Uh, so that's it, it's important obviously to as much as possible be part of a youth uh, student group as much as you can but once the time has come to move on there it's it's time to move on right so we should always foster an atmosphere where once we're in a group that we can leave it in better hands so we shouldn't be tied to an organization and be like oh no if I'm not here this will be gone if that is the case, then I think as leaders of a group or just as members of a group, we haven't done our job. So as much as I would love to have stayed part and helped uh, grow, my time was up and honestly was left in great hands and it's uh, it'll be left hopefully in even better hands after that. Unfortunately, there isn't there wasn't anything at the time like, OK, I'm not a youth anymore and I want to still be involved with Assyrian activities, Assyrian events, man, not necessarily part of the church, right? So it's trying to do something. I had linked up with, you guys did an interview with her, with Yvette, Yvette Haddad, and I wanted to do something else. And I spoke with her. I was like, just as background, it wasn't just random speaking. So her kids were coming to the Assyrian school and I had suggested an idea and she was like, I just need someone to kind of ask me to be involved because I want to do something for Assyrians. I just don't know how. Mm -hmm. So then at the time, it wasn't anything formal, but it's like, let's just organize an event and something for all Assyrians, right? Eventually it was formalized into the Bitnaharan Assyrian Heritage Center. But the event was for the Assyrian school, we'd always have, we'd celebrate Nusardil, right? So for the kids, we'd organize a barbecue, some water balloon fights, just spraying each other with water. And the idea was, this is amazing, right? It's a great tradition that we've done for god knows how long and one issue that i think assyrians have is we have an amazing culture amazing traditions but we keep it to ourselves right it's like oh yeah i i know who assyrians are i know assyrians are amazing look what we do here we don't share it with the non-assyrian community so i was like okay this is something amazing that we can do and this is something that I can foresee a lot of non-Assyrians would also enjoy celebrating with us. So it was like, okay, here's Nusardin. Let's open it up to the general Hamilton population. So that's when we got together, banded with other individuals who could help us. And we're like, let's organize Hamilton's biggest water balloon fight. <laughs> so we want to make it something that would attract non-Assyrians. So it was the festival of Nusardin, Hamilton's biggest water balloon fight. That was... Bitnaharan's first big event and it was like let's take this run it has done for four years now this year would have been the fifth year but uh 
Corona got in the way, unfortunately. So I think uh, next year will be the fifth annual, let's say, and hopefully bigger and better than ever. But Nahrin was a way for anyone who wants to still help the Assyrian community to not only preserve but promote Assyrian culture to be able to do it. Right, so it's essentially like the Shotabuta here in, in Hamilton yeah, area, as, yeah. which is needed anyway. Yeah. Like every community, it's needed. And so it just was a matter of taking the initiative to move it from a concept into an actual yeah. organization. Much has happened since then. Yeah. Uh, there have been opportunities through through the province of being able to fund positions for interns and summer jobs for students that have been able to work with the organization you've had a lot of part within that weren't you were you the weren't you the one that found the grants uh, or was that someone yeah, else yeah so canada has this amazing grant for the summer it's a way to employ students and youth so anyone under 30 so according to the government <laughs> of canada <laughs> If you're under, if you're 30 or under, you're a youth. So they have uh, grants to help nonprofits to pay the salaries of under 30 individuals to work for the summer months. So this initially was mainly geared towards people, you know, you have university, you're done for the summer, what do I do? So this would be a way to get you working. So we applied for those grants. I think the first time was about four years ago. And honestly, I was shocked too. It was one of those like, hey, let me try apply for it. I applied for a lot more than what was needed because initially my assumption was I'll ask for three times what we need maybe they'll give us half of what we need and hey i'll still be happy with that but they gave everything and it was it was great especially for i think it was eight assyrians and one non-assyrian who helped us so we hired them to help out with uh new Sardin. so it was honestly a big learning curve too and i learned that managing nine people <laughs> It's not uh, easy at all. And initially the thought was, oh yeah, these are all university educated. They will be very self-driven and they will be able to perform a lot of the tasks themselves. And that was the case for some things, but not a lot of things at the same time. So it did teach myself and others part of Bitnahren just moving forward to what was more needed of us, where it's, it was very obvious that more money is not going to cause a much, much better event or more people isn't going to cause a better event as was seen. It was kind of there was that law of diminishing uh, returns where it's not necessarily we need that much more that of resources, but we need just the enough resources used appropriately and enough volunteers and workers used appropriately. So again, it was a great learning curve. We learned for the next year, we applied for the proper amount, the pro proper youth, and it did help quite a bit. So honestly, again, over the years for this, I think Naharin applied for it two, three years. And most recently for the Assyrian school, applied for it too. We've employed dozens and dozens of Assyrians and probably helped to contribute six figures into the Assyrian community and Assyrian quote economy here in Hamilton. For listeners that might be curious about this or saying like, oh my gosh, how the heck Canada's so cool, Hamilton's so cool, how do they do that? There's probably a likelihood that within their own cities that there are opportunities they might not be the same exact thing but there might be grants or opportunities that can advance assyrians within their community while also obviously contributing to the greater canadian society or whichever society that they're a part of so i can argue that that is probably not something that is just unique here it's just that you have taken up you've done your research and have taken up the opportunities to apply to those be able to then fund positions within it all comes down to the professionalization right as much as possible and whenever possible it is to once there is a salary attached to it whoever is doing the work it's no longer volunteer where it's like oh yeah if i have time i'll do this it's no it's this is your job this is what you're working on and one thing that we have to do is I, you and I have spoken about this and I've spoken with other people too. It's like, imagine not being a Syrian. Imagine not 
waking up and having that kind of that burden on your shoulders of is my language going to die with me is is my culture going to die with me right and it being a syrian shouldn't be that shouldn't be just kind of this negative that's around us all the time kind of depressing us bringing us down there should be positives to it too so this is what we try to do especially with youth it's like okay because you are a syrian and because you can contribute a little bit to the language that we're seeing or because you can contribute more towards this event because you know the traditions the customs that's why we're hiring you that's why you can contribute to this event so being a syrian should be rewarded should be a positive and that's how we should all work towards you maintaining your language you maintaining your traditions it's beautiful to ourselves culturally and adds to who we are but at the same time it will benefit you within your own friends within your community and hopefully within a career yeah that's what i was going to ask why why is any of this important why well now why is it important to you being a syrian has been tied to who i am i would not know if tomorrow i woke up it's like okay you don't have to do anything for assyria or syrian related honestly half of my day would be just i'm not sure what i do with it right so uh, you take it as a responsibility it, it's a huge responsibility and i think it's a responsibility given to me by my parents and i think to them from their parents and it is a responsibility of every assyrian to as much as possible to maintain this culture so one thing i think i why think though of, what's what's important about the culture why is it important to keep it so how i see it one thing we have to think of is me being here you being here shows the resilience of assyrians so what do i mean by that is every assyrian today alive and propagating assyrianism is a survivor of what isis was trying to do and before that every assyrian today survived the anfal campaigns by saddam hussein when he tried to get rid of assyrians and their villages and everything and at the same time again we're survivors of semela when they tried to wipe us out again and massacre us they weren't able to we're alive today and same with seifo and the assyrian genocide and even before that and before that so us being alive today being able to just even say we're assyrian and maintaining our traditions has been as a result of uh, not giving up and honestly one of probably a very sad component is when the sword was to our necks when the guns were pointed at us we did not give up our Assyrianism we did not give up who we are as Assyrians and coming to the West when we have the freedom to maintain it and when we even encouraged to do it we're not so it's very unfortunate that when we have all these opportunities we don't maintain it but when our just even our parents and their parents when they face death they still maintained it our parents were given more or less the choice of yes you can live as an arab or a kurd or maintain your language in iraq or syria or turkey iran or you'll have to leave they chose i'd rather take my chances somewhere else but maintain my assyrianism so then it is it would be very unfortunate for me to give all that up this rich culture built on thousands of years when i have every opportunity every freedom to maintain it and especially now having a child it's who's gonna be able to pass it down to her i was fortunate enough that my parents have a direct tie to assyria they grew up there they know traditions i i myself and when it comes to you most of our lives we've lived in diaspora so unless we put a heavy emphasis on learning our culture learning our language who's going to give it to our daughter right yeah and i like what you said it's it's not a burden and something to be looked at negatively and it doesn't have to it can be seen as a responsibility and gladly it's the least that can be done right mm -hmm. for all of those that have come before us for us to be here what do you sort of see in terms of the vision for your future for the future of assyrians in hamilton slash what would you like to see my hope right now is 
it, well, again, because a recent uh, father, it is focusing on obviously children and but I think we need to also focus on our seniors and again I see it from both ends my parents both now retired and I have a daughter too who's very young so speaking of those grants it's we are looking at something right now to help seniors and trying to apply a project where there'd be knowledge sharing between seniors and toddlers so i think it would it would be very very beneficial to have our toddlers interacting with our seniors one the seniors who doesn't want to hang around the young youthful energy of a two three four five year old right mm -hmm. and at the same time our toddlers even at that young age i think can learn a lot from our seniors these people who god only knows what they've had to go through to be able to build what they've built here for us so working on that end and one thing i've been dying to do and meaning to do for a long time but unfortunately has been on the back burner is something along the lines of like a chamber of commerce or a business association here in hamilton for assyrians assyrians very hardworking, very entrepreneurial even here in Hamilton, there's maybe 150 businesses that are probably Assyrian owned. And that's just from rough estimate that I had come up with not too long ago. It's pulling all this, all these resources, all these businesses together to be able to help each other out and making being a Syrian an asset, not, not a liability. Helping each other, the mistakes that someone else maybe made when they were running a business, I can learn from. They can mentor me and vice versa. If anyone wants to learn from me, I can mentor them as well or help them as much as possible. Any networking, honestly, between like-minded individuals will always be very beneficial. And anytime an Assyrian prospers, it's good for the entire community and the entire nation. So I'm really hoping by the end of this year to get something down, regular networking between business owners here in Hamilton, maybe even have somewhat of a yellow pages, but for Assyrian businesses, hey, I need my car fixed. And hey, if I- Like a business directory. Yeah, something along the lines because I think most people here would find that very beneficial. So those are the two goals I'm really hoping to work on. Being part of the Assyrian school, that's that's a constant. That will always be there, I think, actually for quite a bit. But these are the two new avenues I want to work on. In other places, senior care for Assyrians is probably done a much better job than here in Hamilton. I think it is something that us as a community need to start putting a lot more folks on. I think we should have probably put a focus on it 10, 15 years ago, but we can always do it now. As a series, we stand on the shoulders of giants, but when we, if someone asks who these giants are, it's like, oh yeah, Ashurbanipal King and Hammurabi and Sargun of Akkad. But honestly, we have to see our parents as those giants too, mm -hmm. because anything that I am doing is because of them. Mm -hmm. uh, I would not be half the person I am unless my parents were there for me. And going back to it, just if we recall what our parents or some, our grandparents had to get through to give us this life, the treacherous track they had to take and just the ambiguity of what's happening next, they were willing to take it all for us, right? We have to acknowledge that honestly. And at the very least, it's help them through their senior years with dignity. And I'm sure all of them have done this with a hope of maintaining their Assyrianism in old age as well. So the least we can do is try to help them in that case. So a dream would be something for any senior Assyrian here in Hamilton that they want to connect with other seniors would be phenomenal. But we'll take baby steps right now and hopefully get the foundation laid for that. That's wonderful. I hope that all of those are able to be achieved. Of course, they cannot be done without the help of others. And so uh, also if there's people that are listening that are interested in doing that, or if those that have been successful in those areas, sharing knowledge amongst each other is helpful to know what went right, what went wrong, so that people you know, don't have to make the same mistakes. 
You'd mentioned that one of your also personal goals is caring and thinking about your future as it pertains to children. Imagining that Enuma and God willing, our other children listen to this years from now. What is one thing that you'd like to tell them? It's at the risk of being very cliche. Honestly, having a child is life-changing. It is. Honestly, yeah. <laughs> Just having that child was very different. Uh, when you gave birth, just holding that child in my hands and just be like, okay, this is this is who I will be doing everything I have. I will be doing in the next 20, 30, 40, 50 years will be for this child. Even now, waking her up in the morning where when she looks at me and just gets that smile, it's your life is in my hands. Anything I do right now is for you. So what I hope to do it's it's leave something behind for my kids and it's not just leaving material things but it's leaving the life lessons the emphasis on the family making sure to the emphasis on morals and the emphasis on Assyria and being Assyrian it would break my heart honestly if my kids didn't speak Assyrian to me so that's one thing that I always try to emphasize too I know that not speaking Assyrian doesn't make you less Assyrian, but at the same time, if you have the opportunity to learn and you've had the opportunity to learn, you should you should take that and you should be able to speak it if you've given every every chance to learn. So that's one thing. And another thing, as I said earlier, I want my kids, uh, plural, if God wills, uh, to see Assyrian as an asset to be able to be proud of who they are and to not undergo the same trials that we had to go through so my parents again they helped our their children so myself included not go through the trials that they went through the trials they went through were uh, Arabization certification persecution religious persecution and they did everything that we wouldn't go through that and that's why we live in this country where we don't have fear of Arabization certification and religious persecution obviously we have other uh, trials to go through so I want the trials that I grew up with here I want to make sure my daughter doesn't have that. So being finding Syrian one as a sometimes as a liability or even being questioned on who we are, right? How often do we walk and people don't know who Assyrians are or worse yet, they question even the validity of an Assyrian. I want to ensure that my daughter grows up in, an, in a world where no, no one questions what an Assyrian is. And then same thing, I hope then that lays a foundation for her to build a better Assyria for her kids and so on and so forth. So, Yeah, it reminds me of something that Assyrian News posted the other day that was a quote by Akhiqar uh, the Wise that said, While a shoe stays on your foot, walk with it on the thorns and make a road for your children and your grandchildren. I think that summarizes it pretty well. Last question. We always ask our guests if you had one thing that you could say to all of our listeners listening from around the world, what would you say? One thing that I would like to say is just cut some slack. It's one, cutting some slack to our parents and maybe the older generation too. I've like many others who are first generation, I've heard, you know, our parents and sometimes that mentality that they have that was instilled and in some form, especially in the Middle East, that was brainwashed into them, it is very difficult to change. But we have to cut them some slack of their wanting and to come here for a better life and to seek that life for their kids. And at the same time, we have to cut some slack to each other i've personally gone through this through the nonprofits, through the groups that i've been part of i've been guilty of it of seeing someone else as why aren't they doing this why aren't they wanting this as much as me why aren't they working as hard but again it's we have to cut them some slack everyone's going through their own trials everyone's doing their own own thing god knows what they're going through at home personal lives 
whatever it is, right? So, but just being there for another Assyrian, loving them, is what we need to do. And at the same time, we have to cut some slack to ourselves, right? We have to understand that although being Assyrian is unique, our situation requires a lot from us. And I think it requires a lot that most people actually don't even understand. So it is very, very normal to be exhausted, to be tired with this. And at times it is just drawing away from the community, everything, but and that's okay. We have to cut some slack for ourselves that as Assyrians, not only do we have to worry about, you know, doing well in school or finding that good job and working hard. It's once we go home, a lot of us are okay worrying about, okay, how do we build this community? How do we build our nation? How do we get this? And I'm sure myself and many people listening, that's not an easy task, right? And that's a task, again, that many people, especially in the West, just don't understand. And finally, it is just take some chances and do something new. I am lucky enough that through my clinic, through my work, I get to speak to a lot of older individuals. And honestly, it's amazing speaking to them because when you speak to someone who's lived 60, 70 years, this, the things that they put importance on, I think will be the same things that I will put importance on in 30, 40 years. And all of them, one, it's family. It's spending time more time with family. It's having that community around you. And two, almost all of them talk not about the things that they did and why they regret doing the things, but I think a lot of them talk about the things that they missed out on. We don't wanna live a life on missing this opportunity or missing that opportunity. I don't ever wanna be 70 or 80, and especially when it comes to Assyrian-related things and especially with children, be like, what if I did this for my daughter? Or what if I did that? Would she maybe be more involved? Would she speak more Assyrian? So it's always take that chance, do something new, try something new. And honestly, at the end, as individuals will be better. And again, if we're better as individuals, our community, our nation will be better too. Final thing that I am understanding as I get older and these white hairs come on my head is always said about the American space program. So the thought with almost everyone is things just progress. Things will get better. Five years from now, they'll be better than now. 10 years from now, they'll be better than five years. And 50 years, they'll be even better than that. We have to understand that unless there is that will to make it progress, that won't happen. Mm -hmm. So we can see that specifically with the space program. Who would have thought that America in the 70s would be landing on the moon and now they can barely get to space if it wasn't for SpaceX and Elon Musk? So with Assyrians, it's the exact same thing. And I've heard it before and it's been said to me too, where it's like, oh no, we're good because the youth are doing this. Or the, the youth, to be honest, unless they are helped and guided and to be shown what to what has worked and what hasn't, there won't be progress. As Assyrians in the West and the diaspora, we're a prime example. I personally think Assyrians were in better positions 50 years ago than now. And 50 years before that, they were probably in better position in the West than, than, than now. So we have to be able to lay the groundwork for, no, this is how we will progress. And it's not just given to chance. It's not just hopefully Sargun down the street or Ninos over there or Shami down there will do something. It's not us together. We will sit. This is what we want to see five years, 10 years, 20 years. So if we want to progress, we have to work for that progress. Thanks for listening. We produce new episodes every Tuesday. So if you love what you hear, subscribe to us wherever you're listening to this and we'll see you next week.